0: You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. The series that we've been in for seven weeks now. Seven weeks And every week we've said this. Maybe it was a father. Maybe it was a mother. Maybe it was a priest or a pastor. And they basically said, believe this. And so you took what they said. And then you continued on with life. But then you got older you got older and you began to discover that there's a gap between what you were taught and what you experienced as an adult. And that creates a problem. It creates problems. For some of you when those problems arose, you just said, you know what, I'm gonna believe anyways. I'm just gonna keep on going, I'm gonna keep on trucking. I'm gonna continue on with my faith. While others, they had issues with that gap. And because of it, they walked away from the faith. Today, maybe you're here, and you've been looking over the situation and thinking about the starting point for your story. We saw in this series week one, we asked the question, who is Jesus? And that question right there is central to everything in Christianity. It is, it's everything. Who is Jesus? The second week, we looked at the fact that we're not just mistakers. We're not just mistakers. We have an issue, and it's not that we make mistakes. Our issue is we're sinners. We have a sin issue. We saw in week three, we had an awesome time looking at what it means to receive, uh, to receive God's approval, and how do we re- what it means to get God's approval, and how do we receive it? In week four, we we looked at the rule, the role of rules. And for maybe for some of you, you were taught growing up that you know it's great being a Christian, but you've got to follow these rules. You've got to do these rules to continue to be a Christian. And we looked that week in scripture. It's just not there. It doesn't say it. That's not the way it is. But we did learn. That there is a role that rules play in our lives. They're there for a reason. God placed them there for a reason. Then two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we asked the question, what can wash away my sins? What can wash away my sins? And then last week, we talked about grace. Grace. And the important, the important thing about grace, we, 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 it's so important, we spent a whole week dedicated to this idea of grace and what grace is. And today, I want to finish this series. We're going to finish this Is our story. And today, I want to talk about one thing that I have to tell you that happened. One thing that happened, and if you're considering Christianity or you're coming back to the faith... This event that happened is so fundamental and it's so important that everything we believe because of this thing, because of this one thing that actually happened, if this event actually happened, if it actually went down, then it means Jesus is alive and it means that Jesus was telling the truth and that this faith thing is the right thing to do. And so I want to start out this morning looking at a story of Jesus and his disciples. We have Jesus and his 12 disciples. And at this point, they're 150 miles north of Jerusalem. They're in an area called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And I've actually got a picture of Caesarea Philippi up on the screen. I'm going to throw it up there for you guys. This is Caesarea Philippi. It doesn't look like much right here because it's abandoned today. They abandoned it. But in Jesus' day, this was a thriving, booming city. It was a big deal. This city, Caesarea Philippi, was named after Caesar Augustus, one of the first emperors of Rome. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And we all know who Julius Caesar is, right? He's the guy that came up with Orange Julius. No? no that's... Let me check. A little Caesar's Pizza? That's what it was? Okay. <laughs> He came with all the Caesar stuff. Now Julius Caesar was the first emperor of Rome. And we see that he's tragically killed. And when he's killed, the people of Rome deify him. They've made him a god, pretty much. They said, he's, the, he's one of our gods now. And so Caesar Augustus, his adopted son, for which this city is named after, he's called the son of a god. And I just kind of imagine the scene, maybe Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling and they're walking into the city and they're discussing this. They're talking about Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus, they're talking about Caesarea Philippi. And maybe the topic comes up, maybe they said something to the effect of, maybe Jesus said, hey, you guys know who this Augustus was. You know who he is, what he's about, but who do you say that I am? You know about Julius Caesar. You know all about Caesar Augustus, but who am I? And these disciples, they begin to talk, and they begin to shout out answers. They begin to say, well, some people say you're this. Well, other people say you're that. And we see Peter blurts out an answer. He blurts out an answer, and this answer is found in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, is what we're going to begin reading this morning. says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This Augustus, he's the son of a dead God. He's the son of a dead God. Julius Caesar is dead. But you, Jesus, you're the son of the living God. He's alive, you're the son of the living God. Jesus stops when he hears Peter answer this and looks at him and he's like, bingo, you got it. You hit the nail right on the head, Peter. But I gotta tell you something. You didn't come up with that answer yourself. He says, my Father in heaven gave you that answer. He's the one that puts those words into your mouth. And then after this discussion, Jesus makes a statement. He makes a prediction that is astounding. And many of us, maybe we've read this before. We've even heard messages on this next verse. But I think we missed something. Maybe we missed something the first time we read it. If we look at verse 18, it says this. And on this rock... I will build my church. Now the reason why I didn't read the start of that verse, the reason why I didn't do that was because a lot of people are debating this verse today. The first part of this verse is highly debated today. The Catholics believe this. Look at the first part of the verse. What does it say? And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church the Catholics believe that right here Jesus is talking to Peter and saying that Peter is the rock. He's the rock on which they built the church. He's the foundation. They consider Peter to be the first pope out of all the lines of popes that we've had over the years. Can I tell you this? He's not. He never was. He wasn't the first pope. That wasn't his position. We see that later on, uh, the Protestant, we talked about the Protestant branch a while back. The Protestants believed that when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, he's talking about himself. On this rock I will build my church. And that coincides with what has been said further on in scripture when we see the disciples, uh, the, the writing of the disciples, when they later said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. He's the rock. He's the foundation of the church. But what's interesting this morning is this. We've heard many messages about this part, about this discussion we just talked about. But the focus of this verse is not who is the rock. That's not the focus of this verse. That wasn't the emphasis here. The significance of this verse is the bold claim that Jesus makes after this. He says this, I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna build my church. And I really wanna break this down a little bit. I wanna talk about this a little bit, the history behind from when this was said, when it was written, until today. We see back in Jesus' day, Jesus spoke Aramaic. That was the language that he spoke. When Matthew wrote this down, when he sat and wrote out this entire story, he wrote it in the Greek language. And the word that he uses here is the word ecclesia. If you got your service guides, go and pull those out, write that down. That's our first note this morning. Ecclesia. If you say, I don't know how to spell that, we threw it on the screen just in case. Two K's. Ecclesia. He uses Matthew uses this word, ecclesia. And ecclesia means gathering, assembly, or congregation. Gathering, assembly, or congregation. Now, this word "ecclesia" it's not a religious term; it's not used in that way. Jesus is like, guys, I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build my assembly. Could you imagine the disciples' reaction when he says this? I mean, think about this. Really, these twelve followers. Jesus makes this statement, and some were like, "Woo hoo, Jesus! I'm like that's great. Thank you so much for that. You're going to build your assembly. You're going to build your gathering." Jesus, we're 150 miles away from home right now. We're not here because we're out sightseeing. We're here because we're counted as outlaws, because we follow you. You want us to build your gathering? You want us to do what? Like, are we trying to create like a gang of outlaws and then that we're constantly being hunted down and chased and we constantly have to go further and further to somewhere else in the world because we're outlaws? Jesus makes this statement And the disciples don't fully understand at the time. But what happens with this story and what Matthew wrote down is after years, we find a tragedy takes place in translation. Tragedy takes place in translation. We see Matthew wrote the word ekklesia, but years later, the first Bible ever to be translated was translated into the German language. And when they translated into German... They used a word that was different from Ecclesia. They used a different word that had a completely different meaning. And today, you know what? I've said Ecclesia, I said Caesarea Philippi. I'm not going to try to say this German word. All right, it's going to—it's going to be too much. It'll be ridiculous. I, you guys will be laughing at me. I can't—I can't, I can't do with it. So I'm not even going to try. But this German word that they used to translate Ecclesia has the meaning the house. Of the Lord. It's where we get the word church from, from this German word they used for ecclesia. The problem with this translation is this for years, people, because of that word, made a big deal about the place. They made a big deal about the place. It was all focused on the house of. Of the Lord. They put all emphasis on the building, on the place. But the building, they put emphasis on the building instead of the gathering, instead of the assembly, the congregation, the people. And for years, the word church was based on that German translation instead of gathering or assembly. The church always implied a place. It was always a place. Hey, guys, and have you ever heard that in our culture nowadays? Hey, we're going to church. No one else is there. We're just going to church. Well, that's where it began. That's where it started with this, this poor translation that we get through the German language. That's why today, that's why we see gigantic cathedrals and huge church buildings because that's what was holy. That's what was sacred through that translation, the building. The building was holy and sacred. But I want you to understand this today, and this is the next thing I want you to write in your notes. Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people. Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people. Matthew uses the word ecclesia, and we see in 1860 a man by the name of William Tyndale begins to translate the Bible But this time he he translates the Bible from the Greek language to the English language for the first time. And when he comes across this word ekklesia and its actual meaning, he is astounded, I mean he is stunned by what he's seeing because his whole life he has heard the term that was used in the German language for church and building and the house of the Lord. And when he sees this, he's blown away because it means congregation as opposed to this German word. It was completely mistranslated. And so he puts in the word congregation. And in the church of this time, guess what happens? They're offended. They don't like this translation. They don't like what he's saying here, even though he uses a word that's closer to what Matthew actually wrote. And so the church of that time considered this man a heretic. And he was burned at the stake. William Tyndale. You'll see him. His name's written in a lot of Bibles. I've seen his name before. Because he was willing to translate the Bible properly. For years, the church was a place. It was all about the place. It wasn't about the people. But Jesus, we see, he makes this statement. He says, I will build my gathering." And then we see in his story that he returns to Jerusalem against the advice of his followers. And we see when he goes there, he's arrested and then crucified. And after the crucifixion, if you walked up to a disciple and asked them, hey, do you still believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You know what they'd say? No. No, he's not. He's not. You know, we, we, we made a mistake. We thought we thought he might be the son of God. We, we, we messed up because he's dead. He's dead. He's gone. Well, do you still believe he's going to build his gathering? He's going to build his church? No, I, I, I don't believe that anymore because he's dead. He's gone. He's not here anymore. He's dead. They're all down and out. They're not out proclaiming. They're not out doing anything. They're out having a pity party because Jesus has been crucified. But then all of a sudden, we see something change. All of a sudden, we see them going around, these followers of Jesus, they come back to life, and they're even running around and saying, he's risen, he's come back, he's back from the dead. And after Jesus arose, after he was resurrected, he returns to his followers, he gathers his followers at this time, who are about 120 of them, and he gives a follow-up message to the message that he gave in verse 19 in chapter 19, about assembly. If we look at Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus gives this follow-up message saying this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, guess what, guys? I'm in charge. I'm in charge of all heaven. I'm in charge of all earth. I've got the power. I don't know about you, but if someone walked up and said to me, That'd be an arrogant statement. I'd be like, dude, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are to walk up and walk up and be like, I got all the power, yo, just listen up. I'm in charge. I'd be like, no, I don't think so. I don't know who you are, but I'm heading out of here. I'm getting out of here. But the only thing that keeps these followers from walking away and saying, this guy is full of himself. This guy is, his head is a big balloon. And Instead of them saying that, why don't they walk away? Instead of them walking away, They stay. Why? Because of the fact that he said he was going to be killed, and he predicted it. And then he said he was going to come back, and he predicted that. And I don't know about you, but if someone can predict that and then fulfill it, that's someone you're going to listen to. That's someone that you're going to stay and stick with. And so he makes this statement, all authority has been given to me. And then in the next verse, he uses the word therefore. And that therefore right there, it really means because, because I can, because of all that, because I'm in charge, because I have all the power, because of that, he says this, verse 19, he says, go therefore, or because, because I can, and make disciples of all nations. And I imagine the disciples' response, what? What? Jesus, like, how are we going to do that? You want us to go make disciples of all nations? like, How are we going to do that? We don't have any money. We don't have any organization. We don't have any connections. Jesus is like, go and make disciples of all nations. How, how are we going to do that? We don't have anything. We've been following you around this whole time. Like, How are we supposed to do this? And then Jesus says this to finish up, verse 20. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age. And this verse always kind of makes me laugh a little bit because he's like, Jesus pretty much says, Hey guys, I'm with you always. All right, I'll see you later. Like, I'm out of here. Anybody else catch that funny? Just me? All right. So he's like, Hey, I'm with you always. And he's like, Peace out. I'm gone. I'm going. And he leaves. And we see the disciples, they return to Jerusalem and they begin to proclaim and tell others about the name of Jesus. Those who ran in fear when he was being crucified are suddenly bold in proclaiming his name. He's still gone. He's still left. But something is different. Something has changed. And the thing that made the difference is they saw him alive after he was dead. That was the difference. That was the game changer right there. And their message when they went to Jerusalem was so simple. They pretty much said, hey, you killed them. God raised them, we've seen them. Now say you're sorry. That was their message, it was, that was their whole message. It was a simple message. It wasn't some extravagant message. And we see because of this, thousands of people come to Christ in a movement. A Jesus gathering is born at that time when they return to Jerusalem. And they begin to spread the word of Jesus and his resurrection. This movement begins. And thousands in Jerusalem realize Jesus was telling the truth. He wasn't just some crazy man. He wasn't just some lunatic or someone trying to get rich. He was telling the truth. And he did come back and we see the the start of the church right there the start of the church begins it wasn't based on uh, it wasn't based on a truth claim it wasn't based on that we see every religion every other religion in the world today is based on a truth claim oh you know what just just believe that you know i believe that this is the truth and you should believe this too like that i believe it you should believe it guys christianity is not based on a truth claim it's not Christianity is based on an event. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection changes everything. It makes Christianity different from every other religion out there. It's based on an event. The resurrection, it changed everything. And we see the church explodes and it grows by thousands. But then something happens. Two years later, it starts to slow down. Two years later, it starts to bog down and really almost come to a halt. And that brings me to my next point that I want you to write down. The movement stopped moving, and the gathering stopped growing. The movement stopped moving, and the gathering stopped growing we see persecution breaks out and the movement slows down after all the excitement that it started with and I kind of imagine a scene and can I tell you this this is not Bible this is Caleb York version right here CYV I imagine a scene in heaven where God's looking down and saying Jesus come here a minute like this movement you started it's starting to slow down a little bit like what's going on Jesus walks up what are you talking about did you tell them to go out into all nations? You sure you said that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I said all nations. Because it seems like when they get just outside their neighborhood, they just stop. Like they're not, they're not really reaching out like you told them to. You know what they need? They need, a, they need a leader. They need a leader. They need someone that will lead them. We need someone who would be willing to jump in a boat and just go. And to reach those nations. Oh, I got an idea. We need someone who's a Roman citizen. You know what that, when he's a, his Roman citizenship will offer him some protection because people won't touch him because he's Roman, but it might open up some doors. He could go places other people couldn't go. Yeah, definitely a Roman citizen. Ooh, you know what would be even funnier? Let's also make this person a Pharisee. This person's a Pharisee. So people already look at them as a religious leader. That's perfect. Oh, you know what? I got the guy. I know the guy right here. Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus is like, Saul of Tarsus? Why would you choose Saul of Tarsus? That's the guy who's trying to destroy the movement. That's the guy who's destroying my name on earth. Why would you choose him? And God just goes, No, I like him. We're going to choose him. We're going to pick Saul of Tarsus. And we see Saul... He's chosen, and he's converted, and his name is changed from Saul to Paul. And the first thing that he does is he heads to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem as the new leader of the movement to meet the council. And I want you to imagine him walking with this council of believers, these these spiritual leaders of the church and he lays out this map and he's and he puts a circle around jerusalem and he says you know what guys i want you to focus on this you focus on jerusalem and then he takes and he marks a circle around the entire rest of the world i'll take that i'm going to take that and that's what paul does He goes and he begins to reach the nations. He goes and reaches beyond Jerusalem. He gets on a boat and he goes to the Mediterranean and he goes to different port cities and he begins to start churches. Little Jesus gatherings, little congregations, assemblies. And he does that. We see him do that for 30 years of his life, starting churches. Not buildings, groups of people. Until he's in his 60s when he's arrested. As a 60 year old man, he's arrested and he's taken back to Rome, a place that he knew if he would ever go there, he would never leave again with his life. And we see that he's arrested and he's taken there and he's imprisoned and in this day in Rome, Nero is the emperor of Rome. And Nero hates Christians, hates them so much, we see that he even feeds Christians to lions in Rome. And we see Paul is captured, he's taken to Rome. And sometimes I wonder when he's in that situation, he's in that cell, and I imagine the thoughts that are running through his mind how he wondered, you know, these last 30 years, did it work? Did it work? Jesus, you told me to go out into all the nations, did all these things that we did, did it work? Were we crazy to think that this movement could happen in Rome when it's as powerful as as it is? Is it even possible? Did it even work? And I imagine the last morning of his life, he's sitting in his cell and he hears footsteps of soldiers coming to drag him from his cell. I imagine them bringing him out. And they actually, the place where he's in prison is a place called the Roman Forum. And I've actually got a picture of that I wanted to show you. We've got the Roman Forum right there of what's left of it right there, those pillars. He's in prison there. And they bring him out. And I want you just to imagine this world right here. This Roman world. A world that's completely different from ours a world where Christians are hunted down and they're imprisoned and then some are even thrown in the middle where lions kill them just for proclaiming and believing in Jesus. And Paul being drug out of his cell as he's brought out the next few minutes as he's taken to the place where he'll be beheaded and killed. And I just imagine, could we today for a second just think that we would have the opportunity to kneel down and to whisper into Paul's ear, it worked. It worked. Paul, this place where you've been imprisoned will someday be rubble. That place, Nero's circus, where he used to bring Christians and put them in the middle and have lions attack them and kill them, it'll be gone. That place where he would dip Christians in oil and then suspend them and light them as candles for his evening garden parties, that place will be gone. That place where they would, in a few years, crucify Peter upside down, it would be gone. And in place would be a building that is built in honor of Peter. Paul. It worked. It worked. One day, Paul, there'll be people, there'll be tour guides, they'll walk all over this area. And people won't ask, hey, can you tell me where Nero was buried? They won't ask that. They'll ask, can you tell me where Paul was imprisoned? Can you show me the cell where he was at? Paul, one day, all those letters you wrote, hoping they made it to those churches, hoping that it arrived in good time, will one day be translated into 1,200 different languages for people to read. Paul It worked. It worked. Someday, Paul, people will name their kids Paul and Peter. And listen to this. And name their dogs Nero and Caesar. It's true. Paul, it worked. All of that was worth it. It worked. God's plan through the church. Jesus' proclamation and promise that he gave outside of Caesarea Philippi, we see that it works. That he, the, when he says in verse 18, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to understand this this morning. My death, your death, a martyr's death, nothing, nothing, Nothing will stop the church. Nothing will stop this movement, this gathering. Jesus says, my assembly, my people, until the end of the age, until I come back and take them, nothing will stop the church. It'll continue. And so today, as you consider your starting point for faith, as you consider starting over, You know, you can look at different faith systems. You can look at different religions, but they're all based on truth claims. They're just based on people saying, hey, just believe. Believe, believe, believe. We see right here, it comes back to an event You can believe all these different faith systems. You can believe all these different religions. But you know what? Or you can yoke yourself to the one who started a movement, to the one that was connected to an actual event, this resurrection event, resurrection from the dead that's never been seen before. And can I tell you this? No spiritual leader has duplicated since. What are you going to be about? What will you be connected to? I've got to tell you, the church, the church has done some embarrassing things over the years. They have. They've done some embarrassing things in the past. They've made some huge mistakes. The church today hasn't always gotten it right. But in spite of us, the church continues to influence the world because Jesus said, on this rock I will build My gathering, and nothing will stop it. Nothing. The question for you is: What is your next step? What's your next step? We're all on a journey. You don't just keep going through. You don't keep going through these steps, and all of a sudden you're a pastor. That's not how it works. We're all taking steps. What's your next step? What's our next step this morning? Where are you right now? Maybe you're here and you say, Caleb, I know this story forward and backwards. We have Easter coming up and we're gonna tell the story of the resurrection. We're gonna have people that are gonna walk in the door and they're gonna go through the motions. They're gonna hear the story of Jesus and his resurrection. And for you, maybe you're gonna hear that story. And it'll contain and hold no power over your life because you're going through the motions. You're playing the game. Today, what if you decided, I don't wanna do that anymore. I'm not content with just going through the motions. I'm not content with just playing church. I wanna continue to take steps. I tell you this morning, that's our desire here at Discovery City Church to see people continue to take steps towards Jesus in their faith. We care so much, we try to make it as easy as possible. Now, earlier today I said, you know, we got this communication card. And so many times we look at it and say, hey, it's just for writing our information down so they can bug us with spam and all that stuff. No, that's not why we do it. On the back side, we says next steps. And we wanted to make it easy. We even spelled it out. We wrote it out and said, what's your next step? Maybe this morning you say, you know what? I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm ready to take a next step. Maybe you would take this either today or this week and say, what is my next step? You know what, today I'm ready to go to next meeting. I'm ready to find out what my next step is. I'm ready to join a community group. I'm ready to take my next step, whatever it is, what would that be for you? For some of you, maybe your first step is to accept Jesus. You need to place your faith in him. You may know all the stories. Maybe you've grown up in church, but has there ever been a time where you said, God, I'm a sinner, and I'm lost without you, and I need you to save me? Has there ever been a time like that? You can go to church your whole life. Can I tell you, I was in church the first day after I was born. That didn't make me a Christian. There had to be a time where I said, Jesus, I need you to become my Savior. I need you to become my Lord. That's the first step. Another question you can ask yourself is this If you died today, what would happen? If you died today, what would happen? Do you know? Do you know for sure that you'd be in heaven? Because today, if you're saying, man, I hope so. I hope I'm gonna be there. I hope I'm good enough. I hope, I hope I've done all the right things. But do you really know? Because if you're just sort of hoping, stop. Stop. Because it tells us that we can know for sure. God's word says, you can know for sure. Maybe you're here today. And you need to take the next step in your faith. You need to go public with your faith. You've accepted Christ, but you've never shown it through baptism. You know what baptism is? Can I tell you, baptism does not get you to heaven. There's a lot of churches, they're dunking people like crazy. It doesn't get you to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say being baptized gets you to heaven. But what baptism is, is this. It's showing others that you're not ashamed of the one who died for you. Jesus said himself, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father. Baptism doesn't save you. But what it does is it shows others that your salvation is for real. It's for real. Because when it's for real, you won't be ashamed. You won't be ashamed to tell others. Baptism says this. I used to be about this. I used to live for this, but now I live for Christ. And whatever he tells me to do, I do it. I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe today you're here and you need to connect to a local body of believers, an ecclesia, a gathering of people, not a building. This is a school, not a building, but a group of people and say, you know what? I'm going to make this my family. This is going to be my family. Maybe for some of you, you've been floating around churches. You've been playing the church game, and that's kind of your MO. I just go from church to church. I'm dating churches and just trying them all out. No, that's... You might have relationships across the state and every church, but it's time for you to decide, hey, I need to make this my family. This is my ecclesia. This is my gathering. I'm gonna connect here. I'm gonna engage with others in community here. You know a great way to engage in community? Community groups. That's the way to do it. That's a great way to do it. You wanna know another way? Serving. Serving. And for all of you that are here, we were stuffing eggs yesterday and we got to know each other really well. For some of us probably a little too well. On Sunday mornings, we have a team that sets up early in the morning. We have a team that tears down after services today. And you know what? We know each other pretty well. We're engaging, we're connecting as believers. Serving's a great way to connect. You want to know another one? Giving. Giving. Giving's another way to engage in a community. I see so many people today in churches, they have no idea, they don't understand what giving is about. But we've learned in this past series that guess what? When you're a follower of Christ, when you're a follower of Him, the Bible says that guess what? Where your treasure is, your heart is also. God knows that there's a connection between our wallet and our heart. I don't know why, but there is. And for some of you, the reason all of this has been able to happen, the reason all this has been possible is because some of you have got it. You got it. You understand giving. You understand what it's about. You understand that it's the greatest investment you can make. This movement that Jesus started years ago. You got it. When Jesus said, On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my gathering. I'll build my assembly. And because of it, some of you, you understood. You understood that this is the greatest investment you can make, the greatest thing that you can invest in with your giving. So, today, what's your next step going to be? What's your next step going to be? Why continue to go through the motions and play the game? Why continue to do that, to play the church game? Can I tell you this this morning? It's not helping you playing church. It's not. It doesn't. What's your next step? It's time for some of you to decide you believe what Jesus said when he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Are you a part of this church, this Jesus gathering, and what it's doing in this world? Or are you just a visitor? Just checking out the Sundays, just seeing what's going on. Every Sunday. Or are you a part of what's going on? What part are you going to play this morning? What's your next step? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for how great you are. We thank you for how you continue to bless. We thank you for uh, Jesus and him and his willingness to come to this earth and to die for us. Lord, what a sacrifice. But God, even greater, his power to overcome death, to overcome sin, to be resurrected. Lord, that's what we look to. We look to that resurrection. We look to that event. This is not just a hope so, a say so faith. Hey, just do what I say. No, we look to what you've already done. Jesus we thank you for this series and how it spoke to our lives. And my prayer that this morning that each one of us would look back and say, is there an area in our life? Is there an area in our history in church in growing to know you that at some point in the series that we took something away and it repaired some of those cracks. It repaired some of those gaps so that our faith would be strong in you, so that when the hard times come, we would keep our eyes on you. When those questions come that we don't fully understand, that we would always keep our eyes on you. God, I just praise you. I thank you for those that are here this morning, for their willingness to serve, for their willingness to love this community and to love you. God, we thank you for what you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.